shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakewood, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zebalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, this is it, the march towards 150. We've got a couple shows to read our 150th episode. I'm your host, Chris Zebalero. With me always is the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. KG, come on in here. How are you doing today? What's up? I am, I am uh, dealing with internet connectivity issues at home, so I'm sitting outside a, a business with a Wi-Fi hotspot right now. <laughs> it is crazy, man. How about that? You just uh, It's good that you know the places to go to get that Wi-Fi. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's amazing how much we become dependent on technology. I just, uh, I, I started going to the DTs yesterday, man. I just didn't have no internet. Oh, my God, the world is ending. <laughs> you know, we should try, we should try an internet-free day. I mean, we just need to put our phones down. We need to put our computers away and just go back to staring out the window. I mean, I don't know what well, we that, were doing before yeah, that. That's what I did, you know, and, and uh, I, I made some use of the time uh, and, and did some outdoor work, and, and I'll do that today. I'll, I'll probably – it's going to be another day before my Internet's repaired, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit down and with no – uh, Facebook or internet distractions, I'm going to peck away at, at the uh, book and, and see what I can get done on that. How's that book going? Good? Uh, it's it's good, man. I just I have to write some transitional chapters, and, and those kind of things are, are problematic for me, is how to weave a story, uh, disparate stories together. Um, and uh, so I'm, I struggle with that a little bit, and I just, uh, what I need to do is just sit down and make myself do it, so. Yeah, I mean, you know, transitions really make the story. I mean, when you go from point to point, and think about it even when you're when you're teaching. So I would think about it from that aspect, Kelly. I mean, mm-hmm. as you're teaching and and you're standing in front of an audience and you're going from main point to main point, how do you transition those things? But as you yeah. said, I think that's where the most creativity needs to come from because you need to keep them enthralled into that story. But I hope there's going to be something about me in this book. Oh yeah, man! I'll, uh, I'll 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 write about you. If not this one, you're definitely in the third one. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I, 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 it's good to know how I rank. But you know, Kelly, I think we got a really great discussion today, and I think there's a couple people in EMS that uh, we kind of deal with, and you know, we think about those those people that are knowledgeable within our career field, mm-hmm. and and I, I got to tell you, to be honest with you, I was kind of in this uh, in this uh, category myself. And maybe you were too in your younger days, but you know we we're, we kind of have we kind of have our knowledge, and we kind of have an overabundance of confidence. And maybe we're tagged oh, yeah. as egotistical, or maybe we're tagged as paragods. And but then you get people that are uh, egotistical, but then they don't have the knowledge to back up their skills. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know we kind of we kind of poke fun at those people, but you know we were kind of in those realms as well. But I want to talk about mm-hmm. the people today that want to be in our career field but lack the confidence to make the transition to a successful EMS career. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those are the people we kind of point fingers at. And those are the people we kind of say don't belong in EMS. And, you know, those are the people that uh, we don't want as partners. Um, and, and I think that there are, you know, folks out there that have good hearts that want to be in our career field that just don't know how to. And, and as we started this conversation to discussion, you said it really great that don't know how to get out of their own way or get out of their own yeah. head. And, and, and they're keeping themselves from being in a career field that maybe uh, is a generational thing. Maybe their parents were in the, the field. Maybe someone they respected was in the field. And because they mm-hmm. have this, this confidence issue, they're going to wind up on the outside of a career field they want to be in. Yeah, 
you know, and, and you've heard me say this before, uh, and, I, and I firmly believe it. I'll, I'll never change my mind on the subject. EMS tends to recruit the wrong people. We recruit adrenaline junkies and try to teach them how to be compassionate handholders, uh, and, and sometimes not even that. Um, and when we don't teach them the importance of that sort of thing, they get burnt out because the adrenaline rush doesn't last. Um, when what we should be doing is, is recruiting comp- uh, compassionate handholders and teaching them how to function in a crisis. And the problem is, is all too often EMS education just doesn't give them the tools to do that. Um, we teach them a bunch of isolated facts. Uh, but no big picture awareness, no critical thinking skills. Uh, it's a bunch of uh, protocols and, and uh, assessment algorithms. And if you see A, then do B and, and that sort of thing. Two plus two equals four. And no one knows what to do when two plus two equals cauliflower. Um, you know, and they don't know how to handle those situations. Uh, and they wind up either doing the wrong things, beating themselves up about it and then, and then becoming tentative or they stop, they stop what they're doing and they, they, uh, they suffer from analysis paralysis and they just can't do anything. Um, and I think EMS education does, uh, does a very poor job. Most classes do a very poor job of teaching that sort of, um, critical thinking and and management skills to allow people to develop some confidence in what they're doing fairly quickly. Yeah, but I think that so. how, how much of that, though, Kelly, you know, staying in the educational realm, but how much of that within our, our educational process do we set up the uh, mentality that if you don't know everything there is to know about EMS, you're going to be a, a crappy provider, and then these people who may not feel that they've gotten the best educational process are now in the field thinking that, oh, my God, I don't know everything there is to know about EMS. I'm going to I'm going to hurt somebody. I mean, yeah. we're, we're precipitating that problem as well, because, mm-hmm. you know, I agree with you with that algorithmic approach. If A happens to B, B happens to C. And, and then when they come out, I want to hire critical thinkers. We're not training critical thinkers, but I think we're also setting them up for failure by saying, You've got to almost come out with, with the knowledge of knowing everything there is to know about taking care of every single patient there is out there. And no, no. Uh, what, peop- what EMT students and paramedic students need to graduate with, they need to hit the streets with the knowledge, A, that they don't know everything there is to know, but B, the tools to make use of the teachable moments that are going to occur in the field. They, they need an open mind more than anything else, and the confidence to know that even if they mess something up, what they do mess up is probably not going to uh, hurt the patient in any way. Teach them the solid skills required to, to effectively treat a patient without harming them, um, and then uh, learn uh, the rest as you go. The, the thing is, is it, you know, we really have to screw up to hurt someone, especially a BLS provider. Uh, if you're a BLS provider, you got to work at it to cause harm to someone. And, and most often the way you would cause harm to a patient is inaction is by, you know, uh, succumbing to analysis paralysis and not doing anything. Um, and the same way, uh, in, in, uh, to a slightly, uh, lesser extent, uh, with paramedics, um, when you're a paramedic and you screw up bad enough to injure or kill a patient, um, the vast majority of the time, that's not some paramedic skill that you messed up on. It's something you knew all the way from EMT class and let yourself ignore or forget. 
you know, an airway problem, or well, I mean, I you didn't you didn't watch the five you didn't observe the five rights of drug administration, yeah. or 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 focusing on uh, you tunnel visioned on something that was not uh, as life threatening as you thought and ignored something that was, um, and those things that you should have known since EMT class. You know, I, I think that we we put too much pressure on ourselves uh, to know everything that there is to know. Um, and I, I don't discount the value of a thorough, you know, education and, and deep foundation in pathophysiology and, and that sort of thing. Um, but at some point, you got to practice some cognitive offloading and, and, and focus on the, the things that matter uh, rather than the things that are nice to have. You know, I think that, you you know, you kind of sum that up really well where you talked about the, you know, the overthinking and it's the things that you mm-hmm. don't do. And when you think about the work that we do as EMS providers, I mean, you know, you talked about the, the hire people with compassion and you talk about, you know, the handholding. A lot of times when we go into somebody's home, all we're needing to do is is to stand in front of them to say, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make yeah. you feel better. Uh, you know, uh, people would say to me, uh, am I going to die? Nobody dies in my ambulance today. You know, but one of the things that I think we need to look at is how do we just manage what's happening? And in the event that things start to occur, I don't have to worry about intubating if I have good BVM skills. But I just need to be able to address the things that I can see and give some comfort and knowing that I can get them to a, a higher level of care. Mm-hmm. But... As you now grow your confidence, now you can add a little bit of those of those things. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh, he's he's symptomatic and he's got a heart rate of forty three. Maybe this is this is the place I should give that atropine. Well, those are what the protocols mm-hmm. say. So you know, I, I think that we kind of do that to ourselves, where we think that we go in and we've got to we've got to break down this patient into uh, uh, you know different categories to make the determination of. You know the respiratory system, the the cardiac system, the you know the, the you know uh, all those things that we have to figure out. Now, I think that as we gain that confidence, we start adding those tools into our uh, assessment skills and into our treatment plans and management plans. But I think until then, we've got to be able to feel confident to do the things that we need to do to deliver the best and highest quality of patient care that we can at our level. You know, Nancy uh, McGee has a, an excellent talk on this and, and it's something that she harped on. I, I never hear the end of it. And she'll, she'll tell you competence breeds confidence. And one of the things that she focuses on in, in, in that uh, aspect is, is the concept of cognitive offloading. You know, if there's something you can do to make your thinking and your thought process easier, um, why not do that? For example, we, we sometimes disparage the accuracy of an NIBP machine. You know, I always check a, a manual blood pressure before I check my, my, uh, my you know, LifePak 15. Um, yet, how often do you actually see people in the hospital manually checking blood pressures anymore? You know, they use that technology well. They know how to, to correlate uh, abnormal findings with the patient's clinical condition and, and check uh, manually if they think that the reading is wrong. And, and our students need to know how to do that. But, Chris, how often have you been on scene with, with first responders on scene and they give you that, that mythical 120 over 70 blood pressure? I always distrust a blood pressure that ends in zero or ends in an odd number because I know they're pulling it out of their rectum. Um, you know, if, if they use a manual sphygmonometer and 
and tell me, oh, he's got a blood pressure of 135 over 77. You know, I know that they're they're either the have the best set of eyes in the world or they're lying. Um, yet, why do we focus so much on on those sorts of things? things uh, when we can just say, hey, man, put this NIBP machine on them. And what you want is a map of 65 or better. Okay. Um, and uh, rather than think about all these uh, 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 BVM techniques and what airway you're going to use, let's just have a, uh, if you don't use it all that often, you know, let's have a, a superglottic airway that's your kind of jack of all trades rescue airway. Um, and, and failing that, you can always bag the patient, as you pointed out. Um why worry so much about vascular access um, when you have an easy I.O.? Because think about what we do in the field. How often, outside of a cardiac arrest situation, how often is it that we absolutely have to administer a life-saving medication in the field? We administer a lot of medications for comfort uh, and, and or and for for other things, but not so much life saving medications. But I think the you know, challenge get, with that is this: there are going to be times when we have to do those things, and that's yeah. where the confidence needs to come in that we're able to make those you know those medication calculations, or we're able to choose the right medication, or we're but able that's to. When our, that's exactly. when our cool tools and cheat sheets come in. Use your tools. Use your your easy IO. Use your superglottic airway. Use your 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 hand heavy system. Whatever it is, because if you're if you're trying to think about the minutia of your job instead of the big picture and, and some awareness of the patient's condition, um, you're going to struggle. There are two brains on most EMS scenes, and that's another problem I see in a major uh, a major portion of paramedics, especially the new ones, is they act as if there's only one brain on that ambulance. But I want to touch on that because that's and exactly that's where I was going to bring you. That's exactly where I was going to bring you. How about this scenario, though? Because I, I do want to talk about some tips that we can give the folks that are out there. And, and I'm going to talk, we're going to talk about maybe some five tips here in, in a minute, but I want to get your take mm -hmm. on this situation. What about the EMT that may have a little bit of confidence issue who's dealing with a, a paramedic that has an ego issue? How do you deal with that situation? You know, I, I, I get that one a lot. And, and it's been my observation throughout my career that the paramedics who uh, are least likely to allow their EMTs to do things on scene, you know, the, the micromanagers uh, are most often the paramedics that need the most help. They're those blissfully unaware people that whose egos uh, far outpace their knowledge and skills, um, yet they think they're the only one that has the answers. Um, those kind of situations, I, you know, you can talk to your, your partner uh, and communicate with them because sometimes they may just be assuming that you don't know what's going on or, or you, can, you can ask them to teach you. And failing that, you just hope that you get a better partner. How are they successful, though, in that situation? So, you know, I, we can't worry about getting a different partner if our shift bid isn't happening for another six months. How do we now, those people that may need to grow their confidence uh, and they're working with that egotism or they're working with that partner that doesn't want to help them grow, I, I want to talk about some tips here that help you grow your confidence. And let me tell you what. And, and one of the things that I, I really enjoy doing uh, now in my career is I have the opportunity to do a lot of leadership development. I have mm -hmm. the opportunity to do coaching. 
you know, I have the opportunity to share these these tips with people who are now looking to get to the next level. One of the things that we don't do well enough in our career field is we don't help people grow their, you know, reach their goals, to grow mm-hmm. their skills, to grow their knowledge, and help them get to the next level of our uh, of their success. And one of the things that we've got to remember is that leaders are measured by the success of their workforce. And if we're not growing our workforce and helping them be successful, we fail as leaders. So, Kelly, I want to start off with number one. I think this is the biggest challenge when it comes to confidence issues, and that's the negative self-talk. That's the, mm-hmm. that's the you know, not being positive. That's, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get fired. Oh, my gosh, I don't know can, what I'm doing. Oh, my gosh. We can limit make- the discussion to just that. Because it is that big a problem. No, you're absolutely right. But one of the things that I want to share with you is this, and, and we don't have enough time for me to get into the, the, the physiology of, of the subconscious mind. But your conscious mind, you're able to accept, reject, or neglect any idea that's given you. Kelly, if I say to you that the sky is green, you're going to be able to say to me, no, it's not. But yeah. your subconscious mind is your mind that works the processes, is your mind that, you know, it makes your fingers move, it makes your heart beat, it makes, your, it makes you take a breath. It, it handles all those processes. But the problem with your subconscious mind is it can only accept an idea. So if you are believing an idea, I'm never going to quit smoking. I'm never going to lose weight. What's happening is, is your subconscious mind is believing that to be true. It has no, mm-hmm. it has no discernment between rejecting and neglecting. It only accepts the idea that you give it. So if you tell yourself, I'm not a confident individual. If you tell yourself, I'm going to hurt this patient. If you tell yourself, you're imprinting that thought on your yep. subconscious mind. Yep. And your body is going to make those things true. Yep, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, there, there's a professional athletes do this all the time, and and it works. Uh, and they're able to do these mind-blowing feats of physical skill and daring, not just because they're physically talented, uh, far more so than the rest of us, but because of their mental preparation. You know, Tiger Woods was not the the most dominant golfer of our time. Uh, simply because Tiger Woods could swing a golf club better than everybody else. He was mentally tougher. He was mentally tougher and everybody else was mentally weaker because they knew when Tiger wore that great, uh, that red shirt on Sunday, uh, even if he was way back on the leaderboard, everybody would collapse in front of him and he'd charge forward because he knew when he, when he stepped on the course uh, and the first tee box that he was going to win that tournament. Right. And more often than not, he did, you know, and, and when, when a field goal kicker kicks a, a, you know, 60 yard field goal in the swirling winds, uh, they visualize that when that wide receiver makes that jaw dropping play and, and Odell Beckham makes another, um, highlight reel catch, uh, he's doing it with visualization and they start off saying, you know, I am <laughs> the, uh, the, those EMTs need to to kind of practice the the Stuart Smalley routine. You know, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. That's right. Um, and, and and start to believe it themselves. You know, one of the things to think about is write yourself a little vision statement. I'm going to be the best EMT. I'm going to be the best paramedic. I'm going to deliver the best quality of patient care. I'm going to be and read it every day, three and four times a day. And just believe that to be true and get out of your own head with that negativity. Let's go ahead and go Mm -hmm. to another one. Well, let me, let me add something to that just briefly on, on that, 
that sort of thing. Don't let anyone else define who you are. You define who you are. It's exactly you know, right. one of our readers, one of our readers who who are listeners who who we're you know, we're using some of her experiences here, uh, try to tell her you are an excellent EMT. You know what you're doing. And her response is always, yeah, but, or yeah, but so-and-so doesn't think so, or so-and-so says, and, and uh, you, you uh, may be the only one that thinks that. And I was like, well, no, the problem is you're, you don't think that. Uh, you let five other paramedics who all have different ways of doing things and different uh, ideas of what an EMT ought to do and ought to be uh, define who you are. Right. Other people's uh, and, definitions, and yeah, other people's definitions right. of you don't define you. That's right. Uh, and that's something we need to look at. One of the things that I yeah. want to bring up next is also that you need to boost your knowledge. So mm -hmm. you need to spend the time when you're off and you need to read and you need to get on. I mean, EMS One, they've got some great articles for some great uh, uh, EMS providers. And, uh, you know, the things that you got to do is I challenge you to try to read something about our career field every day, about good patient care, about the things that we need to do. But boosting your knowledge is something that you need to do, which builds that confidence. And one yep, of the things yep. that you need to think about is you need to grow your strengths as well. You know, one of the challenges, uh, Kelly, with, with building strengths is that we have strengths and we have weaknesses. I don't like to call them weaknesses. I like to call them challenges. You know I love to use that word. Mm -hmm. And the thing about our challenges is that we need to grow them into strengths. But how do your how do your strengths help your weaknesses? But more importantly, how do your weaknesses work against your strengths? And I think that yeah. those are things that we need to think about. So boost your knowledge and build your strengths. Yep. You know, uh, it, it takes, first of all, an objective look at yourself, uh, and, and, uh, you have to be brutally honest. Um, Nancy, Nancy uses the term SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Um, and, and, uh, how you grow as a, as a provider and as a person, uh, and as a leader, uh, depends on how well you manage those four categories and, and, and turn your, your threats into opportunities and your weaknesses into strengths. Um, but to do that, you have to objectively identify what those things are, uh, and, and have a plan in place, uh, to address. Now here's another here's another bridge that I want to make with confidence. Most often than not, when you have a confidence issue, it also bleeds over into a self-esteem issue. Meaning oh, yeah. that because you don't feel comfortable in your in your abilities, now you start to question yourself as an individual, and now you start to question yourself as a person. And we, we said it a minute ago that don't let other people's perceptions of you become your reality. You, you can think about me what you want. I'm one of those guys that you either love me or hate me. And there are people who listen to the show that just love me. There are people who listen to the show they wouldn't pee on me if I was on fire. But one of the <laughs> things that you need to start thinking about now is that not allowing your confidence to affect what you think about you as a person. You're able to do whatever it is you want to do. When you allow the negativity of your confidence to say, I just don't do a good job, I'm not a great person, oh my God, mm -hmm. now you're leading down the road of, 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 of sabotaging your self-esteem. Exactly. And hey, Chris, I would pee on you if you were on fire. Kelly, I, I don't I, know that I even, I would rather burn. I love you. I, bur I love brother, you so I would much. rather burn. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, so pass on that. Pass on Dude, that. Dude, I love you so much. I would pee on you if you weren't on fire. How's okay, that? well, let's let's go ahead. <laughs> now we're taking a turn that I don't want to do. You know, here's another thing, Kelly, that I let people know that they should do. 
And, and I say this all the time, and it may sound really weird, but one of the things that you hear all the time is you, you kind of hear that fake it till you make but it, it analogy. But one of the things that you need to think about is you're an actor. You're the best actor that Hollywood's ever seen. Mm -hmm. You're the best actress that Hollywood has ever seen, and you're acting like the best EMS provider that there ever was. Because what yeah. you're going to find is you have the knowledge. What you're going to find is, and if you play this role, you're going to find that you're delivering the highest quality of patient care that you can. Now, it may sound weird, but for the people who lack confidence, if you can act like you know what you're doing, you're going to be able to see a difference in your patient care. Now, when I say act like the best EMT, that doesn't mean you whip out a scalpel and you start doing episiotomies on people who are getting ready mm -hmm. to. What you do, though, is what well, do you want? What do you want someone to give you mm -hmm. when you're in that same situation? You know, we talk about it all the time. How do we want people to, to treat us? We want to be treated with professionalism. We want to be treated, or how do we want our families taken care of? Act like you're in a play, in a movie, and you're the best EMT that there is. You know, some of the, the most brilliant providers and, and thinkers I know um, suffer from imposter syndrome sometimes. Uh, I know I do. When, when, uh, when people approach me at conferences and go, I never knew that before. And, oh, my God, now how do you know all this stuff? And, and I think, dude, you, you have no idea how much research I've done on this and, and how much I, I realize how little I know. You know, and, and some of my best friends, uh, you know, voice the, the same uh, the same sentiments. Uh, but they've they've all learned to do one thing: project that confidence and and uh, fake it till you make it is probably a uh, uh, an oversimplification of it. But they can project that confidence, uh, and even though they uh, you know they may be paddling like crazy underneath uh, on the surface, they're that duck, you know, calm, uh, barely a ripple in the water, but cra uh, paddling like crazy underneath. I think we all go through that. Um, the thing is, is is you you got to learn to hide it, um, because if you don't hide your anxiety and your self doubt, that's not only going to bleed over uh, into your relationship with your partners. Um, it's also going to bleed over into your relationship with your patients. Um, if you don't trust yourself, your patients are not going to trust you either. Um, you can't you can't defeat those tells um, and, and that body language that is going to make people doubt you uh, unless you work very very hard at it. And and you've got to act confident. Yeah, and one of the things that I'll add, and I'll kind of finish up with this one is find yourself a mentor. Find yourself somebody mm -hmm. that you respect, that you want to you want to deliver the highest quality of patient care the way that they do it. And be able to feel comfortable with asking them questions. And when you when you bring them questions, it's not that I'm not confident. I don't know what I'm doing. I I you know, everybody says this about me. What you need to ask is specific things. In this situation, what should I do? In this situation, how would you approach this? What, what advice do you have for me the next time I'm in this situation and deal with this mm -hmm. type of patient? Or be specific and ask those questions. We do a very poor job of mentoring people. What should be FTO programs and, and clearance programs um, in, in many EMS systems are very poorly designed. Uh, and, and there's no objective criteria on how we evaluate uh, these, these new hires and these new students. Um, so you get you get a mixture of of 
uh, five different medics opinion on what an EMT ought to do and what an EMT ought to be and, and that sort of thing. And it's, it's confidence shattering for a lot of these people because they feel pulled each uh, one way or the other uh, and they don't know what's right anymore. And they start to question themselves. Uh, and that's, you know, one of our listeners is going through that very thing right there. Find somebody you trust. Somebody that, that you think uh, has mastered their craft uh, and has knowledge to pass on and make that person a mentor um, and, and realize that even uh, and the way you'll recognize a mentor is is a mentor will support you, but they won't claim to have every single answer. Um, and they'll they'll teach you how to evaluate yourself and how to not be so rough on yourself and 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 when to be demanding of yourself. Um, but the 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 person that you look to to for the pep talk or the 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 foot in the rear end and and that sort of thing, that person probably is your mentor right now, and you right. need to make better use of them. And here's the thing that I want to just end with as we do this, Kelly. It's an honor for me to be your mentor, and I appreciate that <laughs> that you give that to me. But I want to wrap this up in a nice little bow before I give it to you for the closing. So when you think about building your confidence, cut out the negative self-talk. Be sure. positive as you can and keep yourself in a positive mood. Grow your knowledge. Read something every day. Ask questions. Work on your strengths. Build your strengths. Don't allow your weaknesses to work against your strengths. So build on your strengths. The other thing that you need to think about is find a mentor and you need to make certain that you are growing every single day. And with that, I think that, uh, you know, that'll start to work, man. And, and the final yeah. thing that I have to say, Kelly, is fake it till you make it. I mean, go ahead and right. act like you are the best EMT, the best paramedic, but grow the things that you need to grow and be as positive as you can be, and you're going to watch yourself grow into that confident individual who believes in themselves. Kelly Grayson, your final yeah. word. Don't ever let another provider define who you are. You know, that robs you of your sense of self, your sense of confidence, and your satisfaction in this career. You decide who you are, what kind of provider you're going to be, and go be that person. But don't any let anyone else affect how you feel about yourself period not just that extends to beyond just confidence as a provider uh that extends to your satisfaction and and what fulfillment you get from this profession but hey that's what we think we'd like to hear what you think give us your concerns comments questions uh tips on on gaining confidence as a provider Email us at the show at ems1.com. And for myself and overconfident Chris Sebolero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week.